0: Technically, we are in Isaiah 33 tonight, but don't turn there. The last couple of weeks, the last couple of chapters, and the chapters that are coming up, another two or three chapters, are all about prophecies from Isaiah about the Assyrians, about Sennacherib, and about the way that the Assyrians have conquered the northern tribes, the northern kingdom how they have made an encroachment on Judah and have destroyed cities in Judah even though they're getting closer to Jerusalem. By the time we get to chapter 36, you're going to see a transition in Isaiah's writing where it's going to move from prophetic to being more narrative. And it's going to tell the story of Sennacherib actually invading Judah and then Hezekiah the king of Judah, seeking help from Isaiah, finally turning to Isaiah. So we're going to see that transition happen, but as I was reading and studying the last couple of days in chapter 33, I realized this all really does have a historic context, and you know I am a context wonk, and I thought this would be a good place and a good time to establish that context again because I've been trying to make these prophecies of this particular section, I've been trying to make them interesting enough and make them applicable enough that they would increase your understanding and knowledge and praise of God. But I don't ever want to lose the historic context because there are things said in chapter 33 that are impossible to understand if you don't understand the historic context. For instance, in chapter 33, verse four, you read, he has broken the covenant, he has despised the cities. And you have to ask yourself, he has despised what covenant? And who is he? And who would he make a covenant with? And how and why did he break it? And so we're going to spend the time tonight establishing the context so that we have a better understanding of these particular prophecies and I think that will help us going forward to the next three chapters until we hit the narrative and when you get to the narrative it's going to be about the very things that we're going to talk about tonight so I'm hoping to set the stage and get you in the mindset get you in the frame of historic understanding where you understand why Isaiah is saying the things that he's saying right now. As he's making these prophecies about Assyria, Assyria is in the midst of conquering the northern tribes, but it is future yet that Sennacherib and his armies are going to attack the cities of Judah. And so Isaiah has been saying, turn to the Lord, pay attention to the Lord, don't break faith with the Lord. Meanwhile, the people of Judah have made deals with Egypt because they were hoping that the might of Egypt would be enough to ward off the incursion of the Assyrians. And so God has held them guilty for that and said, why didn't you trust me instead of chasing after these deals, these arrangements that you've made with other countries? Let's turn to 2 Kings. Way back years ago, we taught through 1 and 2 Kings, and when we reached this portion of 2 Kings, we did tie it into the prophecy in Isaiah. In fact, part of what we're going to read tonight out of 2 Kings is repeated verbatim in Isaiah 37, when we get to Isaiah 37 in a couple of weeks, you're going to read the exact same thing that I'm reading tonight out of Second Kings. But Second Kings is going to help us establish the historic context, and my hope is that that will give you a greater understanding of not only where these prophecies fit, but what these prophecies mean because of the specific things that Isaiah is saying to these people who are about to be attacked we've seen themes in these prophecies that Isaiah has laid out we've seen the theme of judgment judgment for Israel judgment for Judah but we've also seen the threat of destruction for Israel's enemies But then we've also seen promises of God's protection, and of course, the glorious future to come, proving that God has not abandoned his people. And those themes are going to continue for the next three chapters in Isaiah. So again, my hope is that by going back and looking at the historic context of these promises, when we go back and look at the prophecies, they will make more sense to you. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay, so that's the plan for the evening. 2 Kings chapter 18, turn there. 2 Kings chapter 18, we'll start reading at verse 7. We're reading about Hezekiah, the king of Judah. The Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria... And did not serve him. He defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from watchtower to fortified city. Now it came about in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hoshea, son of Elah, the king of Israel, that Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of three years, they captured it in the sixth year of Hezekiah, which was the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Israel. Samaria was captured, and then the king of Assyria carried Israel away into exile to Assyria, and put them in Halah and on the Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed His covenant. Even all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded. They would neither listen nor would they do it. One of the astounding things about the histories and the prophecies in the Bible is that not only do you read about things happening, but then God pulls back the curtain every once in a while and gives you insight into why it happened. The northern tribes of Israel were conquered by Assyria and they were the people of God. They were put into that land by God who portioned out that land to them and now here they are in the Assyrian captivity being taken out of their land but verse 12 tells us why it happened. It didn't happen because of the might of Assyria. It didn't happen because the king of Assyria was just such a great strategist and figured out how to conquer the surrounding nations. They were taken out of their land because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, and they transgressed his covenant, even all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded. So now we know what covenant, the law covenant that was made on Mount Sinai. They transgressed it. They wouldn't listen. They wouldn't do it, and that is why God put them in the Assyrian captivity. Verse 13 says, Now in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and seized them. The prophecies that we are reading in the book of Isaiah right now, right there in the middle of the book, right there around chapter 33, are all occurring within verse 12 and verse 13. Right around that time where Assyria has captured the northern tribes are taking them into captivity just as Isaiah has predicted and then the 14th year of King Hezekiah when Sennacherib the king of Assyria comes up because the prophecies we're going to read in the next three chapters of Isaiah are all predicting that very thing all warning that this is coming and so not only does that prove the amazing accuracy of the prophecies of Isaiah, but it also shows that the people of Judah would not listen. When we get to the narrative in a couple chapters, you're going to see that Hezekiah finally comes to Isaiah. This says, okay. Help. Okay. I need some help now. But the people of Judah I'm talking about the whole area of Judah Jerusalem is not going to fall but many of the cities of Judah are going to fall now in the 14th year of king Hezekiah Sennacherib king of Assyria came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and he seized them then Hezekiah king of Judah sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish saying I have done wrong withdraw from me whatever you impose on me I will bear so the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah king of Judah 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold and Hezekiah gave him all the silver which was found in the house of the Lord that wasn't Hezekiah's to give that had all been sanctified to God it belonged to God but as if that weren't bad enough, at that time, says verse 16, Hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorposts which Hezekiah king of Judah had overlaid and he gave it to the king of Assyria. That is the covenant that is made between Hezekiah king of Judah and Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. That is the covenant that he when we get to chapter 33 and we read, he broke the covenant and then attacked the cities, the he in that sentence turns out to be Sennacherib because not only does he take the money from Judah, not only does he agree to make the deal, but after taking all the gold and silver, he attacks them anyway. And so he breaks the deal, the covenant that was made between the king of Judah and And the king of Assyria. You wouldn't understand that in chapter 33 of Isaiah if you didn't read this back in 2 Kings and understand what that deal was. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver which was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. At that time Hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorposts which Hezekiah king of Judah had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. And then the king of Assyria sent Tartan and Rabsaris and Rabshakah from Lachish to king Hezekiah with a large army to Jerusalem. So they went up and came to Jerusalem. And when they went up, They came and they stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is on the highway of the fuller's field. And when they called to the king, Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household and Shebna, the scribe and Joah the son of Asaph, the recorder went out to them. Then Rabshakeh said to them, say now to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, what is this confidence that you have? You say, but they are only empty words. You say, I have counsel and strength through the war. Now on whom do you rely that you have rebelled against me? Now behold, you rely on the staff of this crushed reed, even on Egypt, on which if a man leans... It will go into his hand and it will pierce him. So is Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to all who rely on him. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away? And has said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem. Now, therefore, come and make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to set riders on them. Okay, so what is the king saying? He has sent his emissaries to say to the king of Judah, where is this confidence that you have? You've given me money and I'm going to attack you anyway. And then don't pretend that your confidence is in Egypt because Egypt is no help to you. And in fact, Assyria is going to conquer Egypt. And then he even blasphemes God and says, and don't say that you're relying on the Lord God. He's not the one who's going to deliver you. If you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away? And it said to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem. Okay, you cities here in Judah, where are you getting this confidence that you're going to be able to endure a war? Your God didn't even stop Hezekiah when he moved your altars. So your God's no help. And Egypt is no help. If you lean on the staff of Egypt, it's going to go right through your hand. It's going to pierce you. In other words, that deal is going to be broken So I'm advancing myself and my armies, I'm going to take all that land, I'm going to make myself king over all of it, and there's nothing you can do about it, therefore come make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria, and if you do, I will give you 2,000 horses, if you're able on your part to set riders on them, in other words, come be part of my army, come with me and we'll just go out conquering everybody." How then can you repulse one official of the least of my master's servants and rely on Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? (laughs) In other words, he's mocking the king of Judah and saying, of the officials of Assyria, they are so grand and so mighty, they are so rich and they are so powerful that even if they were to send one official from the least of my master's servants, just the least, the smallest guy we've got, you would not be able to repulse him. He would be enough to conquer you. That's how weak you are. Verse 25. Have I now come up without the Lord's approval against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Okay, there's a certain amount of truth there because Assyria is being used as God's weapon to attack the children of Israel. But he is also bragging at this point, saying, have I come up without Yahweh's approval to conquer you? Apparently, Yahweh is tired of you. He wants you destroyed. He has told me to come destroy you. Now, there is no record anywhere of a conversation between Sennacherib and God where God said okay here's the deal you're going to go up and you're going to conquer but we do know from Isaiah 10 that God has already said that he's going to use the Assyrians in order to punish his children in Israel but then because of the haughtiness with which they attacked Israel God is then going to make Assyria pay a high price. He is going to judge Assyria because of the pride of heart with which they attacked Israel. Listen to the haughtiness that's about to come down. You're going to get some sense of what Isaiah was talking about in Isaiah 10. As if it wasn't enough to say, yeah, I'm sent here from God. I know, yeah, don't trust in Yahweh because he can't deliver you. And don't trust in the kings. And even if we sent the least of one of our servants, you can't do anything to repulse him because we're that mighty, we're that powerful. Have I now come up without the Lord's approval against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Verse 26. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and Shebna and Joah, Said to Rab Shaka, Speak now to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand that. And do not speak with us in Judean, in the hearing of all the people who are on the wall. In other words, when we came out to meet you, the people of Judea got up on the wall to come see what the conversation was. And you're threatening the death of all those people. So say what you want to say, but say it to us in Aramaic. We'll understand that. But don't be saying it in the Judean language. Don't panic all the people on the wall. Verse 27, but Rabshakeh said to them, has my master sent me only to your master and to you to speak these words and not to the men who sit on the wall, doomed to eat their own dung and drink their own urine with you? Then Rabshakeh stood and cried with a loud voice in Judean, saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you from my hand. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, in Yahweh, saying, The Lord will deliver us. And this city shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. By the way, that was true. God did protect Jerusalem so that Jerusalem did not end up falling. However, the other walled cities in Jerusalem did fall to the Assyrians, were conquered by the Assyrians. But once you start bragging against the Lord and against the place where he chose to place his name, We'll read in just a moment what the outcome of that is. So he's bragging. He's very bold. He's very full of himself. You can see why God judged him for the haughtiness of heart with which he attacked Israel. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us, and this city shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me and come out to me and eat each of his vine and each of his fig tree and drink each of the waters of his own cistern. In other words, if you come out and make a deal with me, I'll bring peace to your area or I'll just conquer you. Verse 32, until I come and take you away to a land Like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey, that you may live and not die. But do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you, saying, the Lord will deliver us. Can you see now why Isaiah not only teaches judgment to Israel and destruction to the enemies of Israel? But he is also constantly talking about the glorious future for Israel and the glorious future for Jerusalem because he has to counter what Sennacherib is saying. Sennacherib is saying, you can't trust Yahweh. You can't trust God. So Isaiah is constantly saying, you can trust God. He's not losing you. He's teaching you. He's correcting you. He's judging you, but you still have this wonderful future. Therefore, trust in God. Verse 32. Do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you, saying, the Lord will deliver us. Has any one of the gods of the nations delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? in other words, I've conquered all these other nations and they all had gods too. They all worship their statues of stone. They all worship their gods of their own making. And I conquered every one of them. What's the difference between them and your God? I'm going to conquer you and your God too. Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of the Sepharvaim, Hena and Iva? Have they delivered Samaria from my hand? who among all the gods of all the lands have delivered their land from my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand. But the people were silent and answered him not a word, for the king's commandment was, do not answer him. And then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household and Shebna the scribe and Joah the son of Asaph the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him all the words of Rabshakeh. Can you see the boldness? Can you see the arrogance? That should help you understand Isaiah 10, that God did use the king of the Assyrians and the armies of Assyria in order to punish, in order to correct his people Israel, and then afterwards judged Assyria For the haughtiness of heart with which they went and conquered Israel. The final thing that they have threatened here is that the Lord will not save you. The Lord will not deliver Jerusalem from my hand. I'm going to conquer Jerusalem and your God can't do anything about it. Tom, look up Isaiah 37 verses 36 and 37. That is part of the narrative that we're going to be reading in a couple of weeks. And you're going to find out exactly what happened when Sennacherib and his armies thought that they were going to conquer Jerusalem. And they said very boldly, we've conquered every other city and their gods couldn't help them. Your God's not going to be any help either. We're going to conquer Jerusalem. Great bravado with which he said it. Tom, read Isaiah 37, verses 36 and 37. This should be familiar to you. And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived in Nineveh. Yeah, so was Sennacherib right? No! 185,000 killed by an angel in one night. Sennacherib wakes up the next day and goes, "Uh, I'm out of here. I'm going back to Nineveh. I'm going back where I came from. So it turns out that if what Sennacherib was saying was true, and it was, that he had conquered all these different areas and all their gods couldn't stop him, But then Yahweh did stop him in a single night with a single angel. That shows you the difference between all the gods that are not, all the gods that could not protect their cities, could not protect their land, all those people who looked to their gods as their patron, as their savior. Those gods could not save them. But the people who put their trust and their faith in Yahweh, he delivered them. And he delivered them with a mighty stroke in one night proving that he is exactly who he described himself as. I am. I'm the God that is, and those are the gods that are not. And here he used a foreign king, Sennacherib, to prove that point. So with great boldness, Sennacherib said, the Lord is not going to deliver Jerusalem from my hand. And so the Lord did exactly that. Chapter 19. And when the king Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and he covered himself in sackcloth and he entered the house of the Lord. Then he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, with Shebna the scribe and the elders of the priests, and they were covered with sackcloth. And he sent them to Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos. And they said to him, thus says Hezekiah, this day is a day of distress, rebuke, and rejection. For the children have come to birth, and there is no strength to deliver. This chapter, as I read it out, do your best to remember what little details you can hold on to for a couple of weeks, because when we get to Isaiah 37, Isaiah 37 is a mostly verbatim retelling of exactly what we're reading here. It's in 2 Kings, and Isaiah quotes it again so that you understand that the king finally came to Isaiah looking for deliverance from Yahweh. And as Tom just read, deliverance did come from Yahweh. That's where they were supposed to turn, not to Egypt, not to their own military strength or their own might or their own cleverness, turn to God for deliverance. Thus says Hezekiah, verse 3, this day is a day of distress, rebuke, and rejection, For children have come to birth, and there is no strength to deliver. Perhaps the Lord your God will hear all the words of Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God, and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard, and therefore offer a prayer for the remnant that is left. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, and Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Notice how personally God took it. It sounds to me very much like when Jesus met Paul, knocked him down with a bright light, and said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? when Saul was actually out killing Christians, but Jesus took it very personally. Here, the king of Assyria was threatening to overthrow Jerusalem and saying, your God can't help you, and God took it very personally. This tells you something very important about the God who we serve, who we worship. He takes these things personally. He takes it personally When you praise him, when you worship him, when you speak well of him, when you bless him, he takes that personally. But when the world blasphemes him and speaks against him and says that he either doesn't exist or that he's powerless or that he can't do anything or change anything, he also takes that very, very personally and will pour out judgment accordingly. Behold, I will, God speaking, I will put a spirit in him, in other words, a thought, an opinion in him, so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. Okay, so God said, who's in control? I'm the one in charge here. Tell Hezekiah not to worry. I will deliver Jerusalem. Then Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libnah, for he had heard that the king had left Lachish. And he heard them say concerning Tirhakah, the king of Cush, Behold, he has come out to fight against you. He sent messengers again to Hezekiah, saying, Thus you shall say to Hezekiah, the king of Judah, Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you, saying that Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands, destroying them completely. So will you be spared? Did the gods of those nations which my fathers destroyed deliver them, even Gozan and Haran and Rezaf? And the sons of Eden who were at Azur. Where is the king of Hamath? Where is the king of Arpad? Where is the king of the city Sepharvaim? And of Hena and of Sivah? These were all cities in the northern kingdoms, Cities within Samaria. The king of Assyria is threatening that since he was able to conquer all these false gods, he was going to be able to conquer the king of Judah. Then Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messengers and he read it and he went up to the house of the Lord and he spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, who art enthroned above the cherubim, thou art the God, thou alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made heaven and earth. Incline thine ear, O Lord, and hear. Open thine eyes, O Lord, and see and listen to the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have devastated the nations and the lands and have cast their gods into the fire. And they were not gods, but they were the works of men's hands, wood and stone, And so they have destroyed them, and now, O Lord, our God, I pray, deliver us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou alone, O Lord, art God. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me about Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, I have heard you. And this is the word that the Lord has spoken against him. She has despised you and mocked you, the virgin daughter of Zion. She has shaken her head behind you, O daughter of Jerusalem. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed? And against whom have you raised your voice and haughtily lifted up your eyes against the Holy One of Israel? Through your messengers you have reproached the Lord and you have said with my many chariots I came up to the heights of the mountains to the remotest parts of Lebanon and I cut down its tall cedars and its choice cypresses and I entered its farthest lodging places its thickest forests I dug wells and drank foreign water and with the sole of my feet I dried up all the rivers of Egypt. Have you not heard? Long ago, I did it. From ancient times, I planned it. And now I have brought it to pass that you should turn fortified cities into ruinous heaps. Therefore, their habitation was short of strength. And they were dismayed and they were put to shame. And they were as the vegetation of the field and as the green herb as grass on the housetops is scorched before it is grown up. But I know you're sitting down and you're going out and you're coming in and you're raging against me because of your raging against me and because of your arrogance and because your arrogance has come up to my ears. Therefore, I will put a hook in your nose And my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by the way that you came. And that's exactly what he did that Tom read for us. They got all the way to the edge of Jerusalem. God wiped out 185,000 of them. And Sennacherib, like having a hook in his nose, ended up going back to where he came from. Exactly exactly as was predicted by Isaiah. But notice that Isaiah is predicting it before it actually happens. Then this shall be a sign, says verse 29, then this shall be the sign for you. You shall eat this year what grows of itself, in the second year what springs from the same, and in the third year sow, reap, plant vineyards, and eat their fruit. And the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant, and out of Mount Zion survivors. The zeal of the Lord shall perform this. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, You shall not come to this city or shoot an arrow there, Neither shall he come before it with a shield, nor throw up a mound against it. By the way that he came, by that same way he shall return, and he shall not come to this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Then when it happened that night, notice how similar this is because we had Tom read it a moment ago for us out of Isaiah 37 verse 34 for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake and then it happened that night that the angel of the Lord went out and struck a hundred and eighty five thousand in the camp of the Assyrians and when men "...rose early in the morning. Behold, all of them were dead. So Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh." "...and it came about, as he was worshipping, in the house of Nisroch, his god, that Adrammelech and Sharezer killed him with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Ararat." And Esarhaddon, his son, became king in his place. What did the earlier prophecy say? It said, behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he will hear a rumor, he will return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. And then Second Kings records that that exactly happened. And then Isaiah picks up that whole chapter, recites it. So that Isaiah is declaring, look, the very thing that God has said to me has actually come true. He is saying all of this because the Babylonians are right around the corner. So in the early portion so far in the book of Isaiah, the vast majority of what we've been reading about, the predictions of judgment, the predictions of deliverance, the predictions of destruction have primarily had to do with Assyria. But then that culminates when the king of Assyria goes back to Nineveh after 185,000 are dead. And then he goes back and he dies by the sword at the hand of two of his own servants. And God said in the midst of all that, have you not heard long ago? I did it from ancient times. I planned it and now I have brought it to pass so that you should turn fortified cities into ruinous heaps and therefore their inhabitants were short of strength and they were dismayed and they were put to shame and they were like vegetation in the field, like the green herb as grass on the housetops is scorched before it is grown up. But I know you're sitting down. And I know you're going out and I know you're coming in and I know you're raging against me because of your raging against me and because of your arrogance that has come up to my ears. Therefore, I'm going to put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips and I'm going to turn you back the way that you came. That is the declaration of an absolutely sovereign God who proves his complete sovereignty by declaring in advance what is actually going to happen even among foreign kings and foreign nations who hate God, who blaspheme against God, and nevertheless God declares, I planned all this. You're busy bragging that cities fell before you and gods who weren't gods fell before you and you in your arrogance decided to boast against me. You're only doing what I intended for you to do. You're only doing what I allowed you to do. And now I'm going to put a hook in your nose and I'm going to drag you back home. And I'm going to have you die by the sword there at home. Because that's what I planned a long time ago. So these prophecies that we've been reading in Isaiah, even though there seems to be A certain amount of repetition, and I don't want that repetition to become old hat. I don't want you to start thinking, oh yeah, Jim, we get it, but this is five chapters now of hearing the same thing. God predicting judgment, and God predicting destruction, and God predicting the glorious future for Israel. I want you to understand the historic context that it all falls in. Because not only is it recorded in the Chronicles of the Kings, it's recorded in Isaiah that these things that he has prophesied actually do happen. They actually come to their fruition in time and history. 2 Kings chapter 20 is then going to talk about Hezekiah's illness and his recovery, which is also going to be talked about in Isaiah. We'll probably come back and read it from 2 Kings when we get there. That... Was all introduction. Now go to Isaiah 33. And we will reread what we read at the end of last week. And hopefully it will make much more sense now. Speaking to the king of Assyria, Isaiah says Woe to you, O destroyer, while you were not destroyed. In other words, you're out there destroying, and nobody's destroying you, but woe to you. The woe is coming. Now we know what the woe is. I'm going to destroy your army, and then drive you home, and then have you killed by your own servants. And he who is treacherous, while others did not deal treacherously with him, as soon as you finish destroying, you shall be destroyed. That doesn't mean as soon as you decide you're done destroying. We've already read that God put an end to Sennacherib's destroying. Wiped out his army, drove him home, killed him. As soon as you finish destroying, you shall be destroyed. As soon as you finish doing exactly what I determined for you to do. As soon as you get done being destroyed the instrument with which I am going to correct and judge my people. As soon as you have served your purpose, I'm going to destroy you. As soon as you shall cease to deal treacherously, others shall deal treacherously with you. He was a treacherous king. And how did he die? At the hands of his treacherous servants. This was all said about him and predicted about him before it happened and yet it actually occurred in exacting detail. But then Isaiah turns his attention back to Israel. O Lord, be gracious to us for we have waited for you. Be thou their strength every morning. Our salvation also In the time of distress. At the sound of a tumult, people flee. And at the lifting up of yourself, nations are dispersed. In other words, he's saying, Come fight for us, because we know you have the power. When you lift yourself up, when there is that sound of the tumult of the breath of God, people disperse, people run. At the sound of the tumult, people flee. At the lifting up of yourself, nations disperse, and your spoil is gathered as the caterpillars gather. As locusts rushing about, men rush about on it. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He has filled Zion with justice and righteousness, and he shall be the stability of your times, a wealth of salvation and wisdom and knowledge and the fear of the Lord is his treasure behold their brave men cry in the streets the ambassadors of peace weep bitterly those would have been the ones who went to Egypt trying to make a deal the ambassadors of peace they realize that there is no peace and there is no help from Egypt and now they're weeping bitterly And the highways are desolate. Nobody can travel because the Assyrian army is right outside the walls and the gates. The highways are desolate and the traveler has ceased. And he has broken the covenant. Now we know what that's about. Because the king of Assyria did take the silver and did take the gold that Hezekiah had taken out of the temple of the Lord. They formed a covenant for the safety of Judah. And then sennacherib turned around and conquered the cities of judah anyway and took the money so he broke the covenant notice that isaiah predicted that in the midst of it all happening in the midst of it all occurring he knew who he could trust and who he couldn't trust the highways are desolate the traveler has ceased and he has broken the covenant he has despised the cities of judah and destroyed them He has no regard for man. He kills wantonly. The land mourns and pines away. Lebanon is shamed and it withers. Sharon is like a desert plain. And Bashan and Carmel lose their foliage. And now I will arise, says the Lord. Now I will be exalted. Now I will be lifted up. You have conceived chaff. And you will give birth to stubble, and my breath will consume you like a fire, and the peoples will be burned to lime, like cut thorns which are burned in the fire. And you who are far away are going to hear about it, you're going to hear what I have done, and you who are near are going to acknowledge my might. Why did God bring about the Assyrians? Why did God kill 185,000 in a night? Why does God raise up kings and take down kings? Why does God lift up nations and take down nations? For the very cause of glorifying himself. For demonstrating who he is so that the people who are far away, who aren't there in the Middle East, are going to hear about it and go, wow, who's like the God of Israel? He's active. He actually does things. And the people who are near, the people who actually see it, the people who, I mean, if you're behind the walls of Jerusalem, fearing for your life, fearing for your children. And you've got the armies, 185 plus strong outside the walls. And they have already conquered other cities in Judah. And you've heard all the bad reports that have come from Sennacherib the king. You're scared, you're worried, you're terrified. And you wake up one morning and they're all Dead. And then Isaiah says, that's the Lord. Yeah, you who are near, you're going to recognize the power and the might and the ability of God. Yes. The result is going to be that you're going to glorify God, and that's what God is in the enterprise of doing, glorifying himself. And he even declares it through Isaiah. That people far off and people near are going to recognize that he is the only God. He's the true God. He's the real God. He's the God that made heaven and earth. And he's not like any of those gods of wood and stone or the gods of people's imagination. He is the real God who does whatever he wants because he determined what he's going to do from the beginning. Known unto God are all his ways from the beginning. And so let's apply that real quickly to the day we're living in. Because I got into a little dust up on Facebook with a preacher who was blaming other preachers for the fact that Joe Biden is in office now and saying, you know, if more preachers had told more people how to vote, then, you know, today Trump would be in office. And I was arguing in favor of God's sovereignty and saying, no, this happened because this is what God planned a long time ago. Whatever the outcome is going to be, no matter how crazy it gets, it is all leading inexorably to the return of Christ. And that may happen in my lifetime, may not. May happen in April's lifetime, may not. But I don't know how much longer we can keep going. And what we've got is a God with a phenomenal track record of saying, I do whatever I want to do and i've planned it a long time ago and even though human beings in their arrogance and in their pride walk around on the planet thinking that they're the reason that things happen the truth is whatever happens happens in accordance with the hand the might the power the determination of a god who planned it a long time ago and i know that because he said so that's right so you can have confidence You can have hope going forward into the future. You can have the peace that passes understanding because you know and you worship the God who has tomorrow in his hand already. He already knows what's going to happen next week and next month and next year. And he knows exactly the day that Christ is coming back. Our job is to have confidence in the might and the power of that God because he has already declared, that's why I do what I do the way I do it.